This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everybody. Well, you will recall that uh, yesterday we heard from Minister of Health Tom Osborne, who was responding to concerns raised by a few families after the province increased the subsidy rate provided to personal care homes in the province. The daughter of uh, one woman who recently was accepted into a personal care home is calling the provincial government's personal care home subsidy program a complete failure. The province announced in September an increase of $15.4 million for government subsidized beds and personal care and community care homes in the province. Michelle Williams says her mother had only been in the home for two weeks when the family was notified that her monthly rate was increasing significantly. The health minister says the subsidy only applies to subsidized residents and says rate increases are the choice of private personal care homes. Well, the president of the Personal Care Home Owners Association, Sean Lane, joins me now. Well, good afternoon, Sean Lane. Uh, good afternoon, Linda. How are you today? Great. Thanks for joining us. So there's been some uh, discussion of late about uh, these um, subsidies that the provincial government provided. And some family owner uh, family members have uh, reached out to us saying, um, okay, well, that's great, but uh, that means that our family member has to pay more out of pocket because they don't qualify for uh, a subsidized rate. So uh, what's the situation from the um, personal care Home Owners Association's point of view? Well, uh, first of all, I appreciate the uh, opportunity to, to share with your listeners and yourself, uh, you know, some of the, I guess, exciting news that's happening within our industry. It is kind of sad that, uh, you know, on, on top of this great news that there's been, a, you know, maybe some operators that are uh, acting a little uh, aggressively with regards to how they're rolling it out. Uh, first of all, I like to say, you know, we've been dealing, uh, negotiating with government now for several months about a new rate for the subsidized client. Government only really controls the rate that's charged to the subsidized client. And government over the years have made you know, more subsidies available. They've certainly, uh, in the last number of months as we've been negotiating, been very aware of the need for an increase in our subsidy. I think what we have to understand and remember is, you know, our, our home is basically... Home, it's, it's like your home. We we have all the expenses that you have at your home. We have them. You know, we have rising interest costs. We have inflationary demands. We have grocery costs that are you know going up. We have uh, insurance costs that the last number of years that have skyrocketed. And of course, the added thing to this is we're we're coming out of COVID, where the business did see a bit of a change coming out of COVID. So there's been some really difficult situations among various homeowners and so we've been able you know with government's help to reach a new subsidized uh, rate increase which by the way along with that comes uh, some really good commitments from government and one of those is you know we're able now to pay our staff an increased wage so that's great news for all of our staff and and we do have to to thank government as well for for making funding available from that angle to actually pay some of these staff retroactively. So it's not just, you know, you're getting a raise tomorrow. They're actually affording us funding to help us go back a number of months and to, to make sure that, you know, they're being, being taken care of. So there are some positive things. The sad part is, and the difficult part, I guess, is what some of your, you know, people have expressed to you is, 
the private pay portion when someone comes into a personal care home uh, they literally are 100 percent it's up to them what you know they have to pay 100 percent of the cost and it's also up to the owner what that cost will be most owners keep the same rate for subsidized and and private pay people and there are times when you know, someone may have a larger room or some other amenities and, and their cost could change but by and large, it's usually the same price. So I think what's happening with a lot of owners is they're taking this increase in subsidy and they're saying, we're going to do the same thing for all of our private. Whether that's a good business move or whether that should be done or whether it's done professionally or done compassionately, that, that comes down to every owner. Uh, there are some owners that, uh, you know, as you've seen, and probably the reason for your call is have taken the stance, we're doing the full amount and we're doing it all within 30 days. The vast majority of owners that I've talked to over the past number of days, and I know myself included, what we've done, and, and, and may, maybe what I can talk about is, is maybe what I've done at least in particular is to say, look, there's an increase coming. Uh, we're going to put it into effect in February, so we're going to give you 100 days. We're not going to make it $400. We're going to do $200 now. We're going to phase it in over, over a couple of years because this is a big jump. And we're also going to meet with you one-on-one, -on -one, and we're going to make sure that this, this works for you. And I think the big thing as well with this is is we've also, you know, given each person that we're meeting with the actual form so that they can now go back and take a look to see if they actually qualify for a subsidy again. So one of the positive things about the rate going up is there will be some people that are currently private pay that will now qualify for a subsidy. So we've tried to, you know, make that available to these people to say, you know, look, uh, now you may qualify for a subsidy. So let's give you time to see if you qualify for a subsidy. Uh, let's get that process done. If you still don't qualify for a subsidy, well, then let's sit down with you. Let's make sure we're working within your budget. And I know in, in some cases people are saying, look, we're going to phase it in over a year. So, you know, if you moved in last month, we're not going to hit you with a, a 200 or a $400 increase next month. We're going to give you a while to phase it in. So from that perspective, the business owner is really – they're really at a bit of a uh, their own will to which way they want to enforce it or or sort of implement it, and 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 I guess people are deciding to do it different ways. Is there any recourse for uh, a family, for instance, who um, you know is a little bit worried about the the way in which um, you know changes are rolled out? Um, I guess recourse is, is a good word. You know, at the end of the day, we provide a service. And uh, like any service, if someone is not happy, uh, whether it's with the service they're getting on a day-to-day -day basis or whether it's with what they're paying for that service, you know, they, I would hope that the ownership would make themselves available uh, and say, look, here's our reasoning. Sometimes all people need is a, is a good reason and, and is to be, you know, to be explained what, what's been happening. Uh, to me, you know, the recourses are, I would say, is try and meet with your ownership group and have a chat with them and... Uh, you know, if, if that's not making you happy, uh, there's a, a lot of selection these days in, in quality personal care homes across Newfoundland and Labrador. Sean Lane, I do appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Linda, it's always great speaking with you. Thank you for the opportunity. And Sean Lane, of course, is the president of the Personal Care Home Owners Association. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, coming up is dare I ask uh, a provincial election coming we'll have a chat about that uh, right after this this is news talk on VOCM Saturday morning join us for the Irish Newfoundland show send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com 
And we are back. Well, could a provincial election be in the offing? If so, the Premier isn't saying, at least not right now. Speculation is rife after the Liberals launched an election-style ad campaign and uh, and has been in the process of this rollout of a sequence of good news news conferences. Well, some have speculated that time is absolutely right. We've got the federal Liberals uh, who are getting a little long in the tooth right now. And uh, the federal Conservatives are currently riding a wave of rising support nationally. So if the federal government were to hold an election today, it wouldn't bode very well, one would think, possibly, if uh, the Liberals are defeated uh, federally for the provincial um, side of things. Plus, the provincial PC party just coming out of a leadership campaign. Well, reporters, including VOCM's Brian Callahan, quizzed the Premier this morning on whether or not a provincial election is actually coming. Uh, look, you know, uh, it's, it's great to see uh, such enthusiasm Enthusiasm towards the democratic process. Is that a yes or a no? <laughs> what was it a yes or a no? The, to an look, election this year? The PCs just came out of their leadership. I'm sure they're hungry for an election, and uh, we'll evaluate everything as we move forward. I'm fully committed to working uh, for the people of Newfoundland and Labrador and dealing with the problems they they have on a day-to-day basis. So that's what the Premier had to say to uh, VOCM's Brian Callahan this morning. And um, he also had this to say back in June the 14th when uh, reporters asked him then if an election were coming. government house today but there's no written hand so uh, I'm not sure how to answer that no there's no contemplation of an election at this time (laughs) I think people think there's going to be an election because we do have a a serious vision and what looks like an election platform but it's not a platform it's no platitudes this is the this is the vision and milestones that we want to put forward to create a sustainable Newfoundland and Labrador one that has, meets the, the modern demands of a modern global, not a national, a global economy. So that's what the Premier had to say back on June 14th when um, reporters asked him whether or not an election was in the offing. Now, uh, it seemed less likely then than it does now, Brian Callahan, because... <laughs> You and I, our spidey senses get tingling from time to time. Uh, We've been in this game for a while. Mm -hmm. Won't go into the length of time. But um, oh, what the hell? I was ten years old when it was happening in my house. So there you go. You've got a (laughs) little bit of you've got a little bit of experience in the area. But do you think an election is possible? It's always possible, Linda. But you know, the biggest tale tale for me. First of all, people are talking about you know the political style ads that we're seeing popping up, including on our platforms, but elsewhere as well. And that was acknowledged today. But usually when you can't get a yes or a no, and it wasn't just, you know, we heard the tape there of June 14th where, you know, the Premier just vaguely just didn't say yes or no. But there didn't seem many. Today was different. There was a bit of stammer. There was a little bit of, you know, it's an it's easy question, yes or no. And uh, another reporter other than myself asked the initial question, but it was very short. It was very blunt, his answer. It had nothing to do with the question. So we, I asked him yes or no and uh, just seemed to be... He had no answer. So, you know, when you don't have an answer, it just adds to the speculation. I mean, if you can't get a clear answer, um, why not? If you could say no, if there is nothing, there's nothing to see here. Nope. If there is, 
uh, and you don't want anyone to know, then you don't answer the question. So that's the tourist thing. But you and I both know there are other feelings. There are other uh, the posture of government, some of the announcements, some of the um, the way they've been taking on issues. And again, in light of recent polls. So we have the federal liberals have certainly their support is waning. Um, a lot of baggage for the for current prime minister right now following him around. Uh, and then you have a surging Pierre Polyev, you know, um, uh, very viewer, voter-friendly commercials, you know, very family-oriented sort of thing. And, you know, I don't know how much the personal lives, we, we never really know. I mean, you know that if you get in politics, your personal life is, 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 comes with you. And so as much as you try to shield all public things, but when you come out and make an announcement that you're getting a divorce or a separation from your wife, that's a public statement. That's also in the consciousness of voters. Um, contrast that with the, you know, the family pictures of Pierre Polyev and his wife, an immigrant to this country, who he points out in the commercial, and their kids, and the swings, you know. I'm, I feel like Tim Powers a bit here now, but just analyzing those sorts of machinations, you can start to form a, a situation where it, the longer the liberals wait on a provincial front, uh, does that hamstring them? Does is that a crutch? Is that uh, is that does that play negatively in their favor? Do they need to get out in front of it now uh, before the wash comes federally, or uh, do you hold, do you wait it out and, and go on your laurels and what you've accomplished to date? It's hard to tell right now. You can't get a yes or no. We're just off of the end of a, a of a PC leadership campaign. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, Tony Wakeham is only 24 hours in yeah. this uh, position in the House anyway uh, side of things. So uh, is it likely that they would call an election at this time? I mean, it's, it's too late, isn't it, to get his face up on the side of a bus? It's always those two theories. You know, um, is it great now? We're fresh, just off the of leadership. We're invigorated, you know, revitalized, all those words they use, those catchwords. Um, you know, the unity that comes with the convention. Uh, as we saw, there was no dissent. It wasn't the old days of Smallwood and Crosby or, you know, the camps changing, moving from one part of the arena to the other and everybody, the suspense. It was nothing to that. Uh, this was an online phone poll where they really had the results long ahead of time. So, um, well, not long, but, you know, so it was a week long of voting. Um, all I can say is it, on the surface, uh, if you're the Tories, you could look at it that way. It's not like it's a Tony. It's not like... Let's just say Eugene Manning had been elected, then he has to get a seat. He has to sort of have an orientation. He hasn't been in the House. He's been party president for the Tories. But as far as on the ground, on your feet, MHA, knowing how to handle an election as a contender or as an actual MHA trying to win a seat, it's a different kettle of wax altogether. So you do have the stability. It's very much the same caucus. Um, Lloyd Parrott mentioned, you know, the strength of the caucus. What they have is experience. They definitely have that. They got a lot of guys over there who are girls and women and who know what the territory is and how they can fire back. So, you know, it's, it's just the machinations. The problem is it's what we don't know. You know, they have the inside ball on, on this, and they know generally they have better numbers than the general public have, and they get a sense because they're the ones getting the feedback firsthand, whether it's social media, whether it's phone calls, whether it's constituents, whether it's constituency assistants who are actually on the ground in their districts. Um, but overall, you know, you see that surge federally, um, whether it's because the liberals are doing themselves in or whether it's because Pierre Polyev has found that sweet spot. Um, if you look at that and you consider that a wave of some kind, because the numbers are down around Atlantic Canada, it's a dead heat now, and that's uncharted territory for Atlantic Canada. We know that. Ever since Mr. Harper was on the scene and made those comments, the derogatory comments about uh, a negative... Um, Oh, do you remember the quote? Newfoundland is a welfare state, yes. is it? Uh, no, a... that was, uh, oh my goodness, uh, defeatist attitude. Thank you. Yeah, 
Yeah, so we're, we're happy to... He was suggesting that we're happy to sit on our rear ends if we don't have to work. We we're happy to just take nothing. take the off the off the tit, you know, the federal, whatever you want to call it, the old days. Certain things we just can't say anymore that you and I used to say in newsrooms <laughs> a long time ago. Um, so if a uh, election were held today, um, so theoretically, um, we've seen a lot of these... Uh, election style releases where a lot of money is being presented for this and that and the other thing we've got like a new um, St. Clair's Hospital so to speak mm. and we've got uh, now this uh, two urgent care centers going to be uh, created yeah. in the uh, Northeast Avalon area we've got all of these sort of uh, good news type of things happening all while the province is dealing with a very visible uh, issue that has dominated discussion not just politically not just on the air ways but amongst ordinary citizens sitting down around their kitchen tables one is homelessness mm. and the other one of course Huge. is uh the cost of living and uh these are overwhelming these are Heading the into things the winter. that absolutely every newfoundlander and labradorian has front of mind so how do you hold an election in that kind of atmosphere that's the and that's the nail on the head there so the consideration is do people have an appetite you know, what kind of pushback are you going to get? I can hear Geraldine's questions now on the street. You know, do you have a stomach for it, as you said to me earlier in the newsroom? That's, that's going to be a big question. There's so many big, shiny, serious distractions out there uh, that one might even question the cost of an election. And let alone, keep in mind, there's still a former election that still has not been settled in the courts. So is that a consideration? I mean, the legal side of government and the solicitors and the Justice Department, they know where that is and whether there's actually any potential for there to be. There's case management meetings this week, this week actually, in Supreme Court with Alison Coffin versus Mr. Chalk and that uh, the whole issues about whether or not the election was carried out democratically and properly and whether it was even legitimate. And that question is before the courts still. So I don't think they're going to sit around and wait for a Supreme Court decision on that because who knows how long that could take. There could be appeals and there could be Supreme Court. We don't know. That's tangly. But again, all those things you mentioned, all those big ticket items, the homelessness, the cost of living, just it just goes on and on and on. And with the tent city across, it's not a good look overall for the government. So it's fine to speculate. Sometimes they put it out there themselves to see what kind of speculation and what the speculation is getting, what kind of reaction is getting. So, you know, they'll drop things like that sometimes and do things that make it look like they're thinking about it just to see what the reaction will be. I mean, that happens. I've known it to happen. Yes, indeed. And timing is everything, as you know. So would it would they be better served for their own purposes? Um, to hold on? I mean, they got another, what is it, two years of the mandate? It really depends on what uh, the Premier's aspiration, I think, you know, in his mind. Um, he's been through something, I have to tell you. You know, as a novice, uh, a, a neophyte politician coming into this from a separate career altogether, albeit in the depths of one of the most serious issues facing him as a politician. So that kind of juxtaposition was always fascinating to me. Do no harm, you know, and sometimes it's hard to do no harm when you're up against it, as he has been on many several on several big ticket issues, the penitentiary, for example, that's not going anywhere. Um, and well, as you said, and healthcare, 
that's really his, right? That's his, that's his baby. It's his, he's a doctor. And some people would say. It's his Boise Spay or it's he his knows Muskrat this, Falls or whatever right? the case Yeah, so be, he yeah. knows, he knows that territory, right? And uh, working hard on it. But, you know, people want to see tangible results. So when we see emergency room closures and all this sort of thing still going on, even though we see announcements almost every day about recruitment, recruitment, going to take some time. People want to know how long and, you know, they'll look for tangible results. It might be best to cool you know, the ammunition and just hold tight because who knows what could happen in the coming days. Uh, the federal scene is going to dictate a lot, I think. I mean, there's going to be fallout from that. Something's going to give, I think, on the federal scene pretty sooner rather than later. And maybe they're looking at that or the other strategy, get out in front of it, have an election before something falls apart on the federal liberal front so it doesn't have that fallout or impact on Newfoundland Labrador. Fascinating to be a fly on the uh-huh. wall. Yeah. Always. I almost um, don't want to be. <laughs> well, you have been. I mean, actually, within the confines of the caucus room, you know, it's the, you know, the things, the discussions that really go on because everybody's got their issue in their district and, you know, it's all a big discussion between all those MHAs, right? So. Yeah, and this, it's really hard to peg, uh, you know, any one issue other than cost of living, mm-hmm. homelessness, um, mental health, and addictions. Yeah, they're, they, thou- they're all... Yeah, not that we would never... I mean, you know, the building is over there, but with all of those issues, you know, you have the big ones. There's so much else going on. We all know that. Uh, but those three ones... And, and the first thing, the defense will be, this is not unique to Newfoundland and Labrador. I think you'll hear that refrain a lot, whether or not we're getting to an election or not, continually... But others would say, no, it's not. Yes, it is unique everywhere, but everyone's falling, finding their own way. And that's what leadership does. You find fixes for your unique situations. Brian Callahan, thank you. Thanks. You're welcome. Um, what do you think? Should we have a, would you welcome a, a provincial election at this time? Uh, I'd like to hear what you have to say about that. Well, uh, when we come back after the news break, um, the provincial government offering incentives um, for carbon cat capture, usage, and storage options. What does that all mean? We'll find out right after this. This is News Talk on VOCM. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. And we are back. Well, the Gaza Health Ministry says at least 500 people have been killed after an Israeli airstrike hit a Gaza City hospital filled with wounded people and those seeking shelter. An Israeli military spokesman says he has no details on the hospital deaths and can't confirm whether it was an Israeli airstrike. Since issuing an evacuation order to residents telling them to flee to southern Gaza, dozens of people have been killed in the area by Israeli airstrikes. It's been 11 days since Hamas's initial attack on Israel triggered a war. A minimum of 4,000 people have died, including at least five Canadians. So we're watching that unfolding story very closely as well. This morning's September inflation report was a welcome surprise for economists. The rate fell from 4% in August to 3.8% as price pressures eased, prompting prompting, sorry, economists to predict the Bank of Canada will hold its key interest rate steady next week. Grocery prices were up 5.8% year over year in September, but down from August's 6.9% 
increase. So, wow, inflation just uh, through the roof, but uh, hopefully we'll start to see some easing there. Well, the provincial government is offering incentives to qualifying businesses, organizations, and researchers to come up with carbon capture, use, and storage options. Government has developed a CCUS Innovation Challenge through the Department of Energy and Technology. Here's some of what Premier Andrew Fury had to say at this morning's news conference. CCUS involves capturing carbon dioxide emitted from industrial facilities and putting them back in the ground so CO2 does not stay in the atmosphere and lead to increased temperatures. So just to get an idea of the importance of this, the International Energy Agency estimates estimates that 14% of global reductions in carbon dioxide must come from CCUS by 2060 in order to achieve our collective net zero goals. That's less than 40 years away, so we need to start now. This means that there will be a global demand for carbon storage solutions, and Newfoundland and Labrador will play a key role in that. Solutions, innovated, invented, created, right here in Newfoundland and Labrador will have a global reach. A demand for these solutions has some economists estimating that this could be a multi-billion dollar industry in and of itself. We are well suited to establish a successful CCUS industry given the potential for a gigaton level of carbon storage in our offshore. That's equivalent to a billion metric tons and represents a significant impact to the global environment and a huge impact to the economy here in Newfoundland and Labrador. So what puts us on the leading edge when it comes to CCUS? The geological setting of our offshores, continental margins, gives us optimal subsurface storage potential. Plus, our oil and gas exploration history has generated ex an extensive database of seismic data, which provides the tools necessary for CCUS and its reservoir identification and the reservoir assessment. A CCUS industry would allow our province to maximize the lifespan of current oil producing facilities because it will further decarbonize existing oil production activities. Another advantage of ours is our highly skilled offshore workforce, which we're also incredibly proud of. A new CCS indu CCUS industry would make the most of that workforce, provide them with opportunities to diversify and create real, new, long, pay long sustainable, and high-paid jobs. We believe offshore CCUS could play a key role in helping Newfoundland and Labrador achieve its greenhouse gas reduction targets and help other jurisdictions with theirs. Today, I'm pleased to announce the launch of our Carbon Capture Utilization and Storage Innovation Challenge. Through the challenge, the Department of Industry, Energy and Technology is inviting expressions of interest for up to $6 million of financial support. This support is for qualifying businesses, researchers and organizations engaged in research and development focused on CCUS in Newfoundland and Labrador's offshore. There are two streams of this work. 
Up to $3 million will go to support research and development to advance the development of CCUS to decarbonize ongoing oil production in the provinces offshore. The second will be another $3 million to support studies of the potential and feasibility of the provinces offshore to serve as a regional CCUS hub for industrial stage scale storage of locally and externally produced carbon dioxide. The funding can support up to 50% of eligible project costs. Proposals must be submitted jointly by industry and academic partners, a key part of this driver to promote cooperation between these sectors and provide further important and real innovation. The R&D that will be supported by the CCUS Innovation Challenge will help Newfoundland and Labrador's educational institutions, businesses, and organizations develop a better understanding of the opportunity that our offshore represents for global CCUS. We have what the world needs right now. We have the workforce, we have the capacity, now we need to achieve it through our abilities. And that's uh, Premier Andrew Fury um, as he announced a new uh, incentive to qualifying businesses, organizations, and researchers to come up with uh, carbon capture use and storage options. And carbon capture is not an easy concept, and it's not uh, one that is, um, I suppose, yeah, it's not easy. <laughs> Basically, it's taking the carbon out of the air and putting it somewhere where it's safe, perhaps so underground, perhaps in the offshore. Capturing it so it doesn't do any damage to exactly. the environment. I guess doing what nature has been doing for a long time and capturing carbon and keeping it in bogs and those kinds of things, if you know what I mean. Yeah, so one of those, as soon as I heard the concept, I'm wondering, like, how, how can people put it in layman's terms? Because it seems like it is a complicated scientific thing. It absolutely is. And uh, yeah. just uh, before coming on the show here, um, uh, Brian Callahan, as a matter of fact, was having a look at uh, some of the technology that's out there. And these are massive, massive uh, structures and facilities and this kind of thing that is like... You know, I don't know how the carbon gets there, if it's sucked out of the surrounding air. I know I did see something that's happening in Iceland, I re if I recall, where it's actually being sucked kind of, kind of out of the atmosphere and being put into the ground, and it actually turns to stone. Um, but not all of them work that way. It's really complicated. Well, do you know, I mean, something as complicated as the telephone wire for me. <laughs> Why would you think about it? So maybe I'm sorry, Claudette, <laughs> telephone wire? Is that what you just said? Wire? What's that? Oh, I know. So back in, in technology, but I'm still amazed at that. So, you know, I've, I've got a lot of catching up to do. I mean, yeah. It's it, too much. It's, it's for brains bigger brain. than mine. That's for certain. <laughs> um, you know, there's lots of engineers uh, out there working almost 24-7 on these kinds of things. But there's a lot of companies um, in other parts of the world that have established these kind of carbon capture kind of facilities but they're not doing what the initial goal was like their carbon capture rates are not as high according to some Which surveys will come with so, time and more technology i would assume well indeed and and some people don't like the idea at all because uh they say we should not be creating as much carbon in the first place 
it's so that will give an excuse these carbon capture type of technologies will give an excuse for to us keep to it going. keep burning fuels fuels mm -hmm. yeah so i don't know uh, these are all questions for people, like I said, much smarter Scientists. than myself. Uh, but it is, it's a fascinating concept, uh, whether it works in practical ways, you know, in our environment here in Newfoundland and Labrador, or whether it's better suited in really high, you know, dense cities and that sort of thing. I know um, when I've traveled to areas in the past, have, having lived in Newfoundland for an awful long time and we're used to this fresh air, going to some cities, you suddenly find that you can feel it. Yeah. You can feel the grime. You can wash it off your hands and your face. You can feel it in your hair. You can feel it getting in your lungs. So anyway, oh, there we go like I said, for somebody bigger than me to figure out. Uh, but if anybody has any thoughts on it, they're certainly welcome to give us a call. And I see somebody was saying in the newsroom this morning, can we get a little good news on the go? Well, here's a little good news. Um, the sun's going to come out tomorrow. <laughs> you know, there is always that silver lining. Yes, I think we're having a sunny break or two tomorrow, which is pretty exciting. The sun will come out <laughs> Cue <morning>. Annie. <laughs> Bet your bottom dollar. Um, so that, uh, I don't, I'm not sure what that means, bet your bottom dollar. But anyway, uh, that tomorrow. Uh, sun, sun tomorrow, but the temperature is going to be cool. So we got that definite fall sting in the air. I felt it this morning. I had to put the seat warmer on the car. Yeah, I'm wearing my winter jacket. Yeah. Not fun. fun. <laughs> <laughs> we got another, what, six or seven months of this. No odds. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about more about that when we come back after the break because the MHA for Torngat Mountains, Leela Evans, uh, presented a petition in the House of Assembly today about the cost of home heat. And you'll want to hear that when we come back right after this. This is News Talk on VOCM. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. And we are back. Well, we were talking about cooler weather. Um, I do know that in Labrador, they already have some snow. Well, the residents of the north coast of Labrador have signed a petition seeking help with heating costs as winter descends. The MHA for Torn Gap Mountains, Leela Evans, presented the petition in the House of Assembly this afternoon. This petition is for improved inclusion for northern Labrador communities to participate in Newfoundland Labrador incentive rebate programs. We do understand our concerned citizens of Newfoundland who urge our leaders to ensure that residents of in northern Labrador communities be given due consideration when the provincial government develops or develops in collaboration with others, such as the federal government incentive programs, such as the oil to electricity incentive program. And also, in the past, uh, residential rebate programs, such as the residential construction rebate program. The oil to electric incentive program eligil uh, eligibility criteria is for all households in the province that are heated with fuel oil, excluding households in communities with diesel electricity generation. This single criteria excludes all six communities in the district of Torngat Mountains. With the extremely high price charged to Northern Labrador residents for home heating fuel, 
and gasoline compared to other regions in our province, residents are forced to try to switch to the more equally extreme high-priced electric heat for our homes. Northern Labradorians are desperate to find reliable home heating source. The oil to electric incentive would help those switch to the more reliable electric heat. Therefore, we petitioned the Honorable House of Assembly as follows. We, the undersigned, call upon the House of Assembly to urge government of Newfoundland and Labrador to ensure that when developing provincial incentive rebate programs, they, be give, they make every effort to ensure that northern residents in the district of Turngat Mountains be, in, be included, uh, not excluded due to factors such as geographic isolation and a lack of infrastructure, et cetera. Now, Speaker, the problem is we're excluded, and the excuse given is because of carbon emissions, we are on a diesel-generating plant, right, a power plant. But in actual fact, uh, the minister uh, from um, the minister of um, <laughs> environment and climate change just got up in the house and touted, touted the oil to electric incentive rebate. He says up to $17,000 per home. He said that would cover the entire cost to do the transition for an entire household. And we have people in northern Labrador who are burning up to $2,000 worth of stove oil if they want to heat their homes, if they want to keep their children warm, if they want to make sure the elders are not cold, right? In northern Labrador last year, uh, uh, people were burning what we call four to five drums of oil, right? And that's $2,399. And I used to talk about electricity being expensive, 19 cents a kilowatt hour. But in actual fact, that's cheap now compared to the cost of oil. And, and, and speaker, People need to be able to heat their homes. So that was Leela Evans uh, this afternoon in the House of Assembly presenting a petition on behalf of the people in her district, Torn Gap Mountains, who uh, want to see some consideration given to um, their uh, situation whereby they are eliminated from eligibility for the uh, rebate for people who heat their homes with oil uh, because they happen to be on the um, uh, diesel generation for electricity. Anyway, if you have any thoughts on that, you're welcome to give us a call. Well, the provincial government today is uh, reissuing a request for proposals for not one, but two urgent care clinics for the Northeast Avalon. The province initially issued an RFP for an urgent care clinic last year, but canceled the process when all the bids apparently came in significantly over budget. Well, Health Minister Tom Osborne says they're now looking at two urgent care centers in the region instead of one. Here's what he had to say to report including VOCM's Richard Duggan, just a short while ago. We are looking at uh, reissuing the tender uh, for urgent care. Uh, based on the tenders that have come in, um, we do know that the Provincial Health Authority had told us that they were over budget. Um, they have been looking at some changes to the RFPs that would help bring the, the cost down. Um, also looking at uh, best serving the residents of the Northeast Avalon. Um, we are looking at two urgent care centers now as opposed to one. Uh, speaking with individuals and, and uh, other jurisdictions, you know, we understand that uh, somebody 
perhaps would not drive by a hospital with an emergency department, even though uh, their level of care would be best uh, uh, suited by urgent care to get to an urgent care center. So we're, we're looking at uh, uh, hopefully strategically locating uh, these centers to best serve the Northeast Avalon uh, from Flat Rock and Pooch Cove to uh, Paradise and CBS and all points in between. Um, so the, the, uh, I guess the, the, the big news is that we're looking at two urgent care centers now as opposed to one. What does that do to the timelines you were originally looking at? We're still looking at having these urgent, urgent care centers open and available in 2024. Uh, so the timelines should not be uh, drastically impacted. Uh, there's a two or three week uh, delay in, in the RFP uh, because of reissuing. Uh, we don't anticipate a significant shift in, in timelines in terms of opening the urgent care centers. If the budget was a concern for the original RFP, wouldn't um, now having two <laughs> looking at opening two centers increase the budget? Well, uh, each center won't be the same size as having one larger center. Um, so having an urgent care center, um, uh, both urgent care centers would have roughly the same capacity of a larger urgent care center outside of things like a waiting room and reception. I haven't looked at the RFPs. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, they weren't sent to me. Uh, for final sign-off because of the uh, uh, the pricing and, and perhaps other considerations. Uh, but the NLHS or, or the, the Health Authority have looked at uh, redrafting the uh, RFP to ensure that it does come more in line with the budgeting that uh, we were looking at. And uh, again, in looking at the locations of the RFPs that were, were uh, submitted, uh, ensuring that uh, greater accessibility for individuals living on the Northeast Avalon by providing two sites as opposed to one. So, according to the health minister, uh, they're going to go for two instead of one. And talking about these urgent care centers where you can get some immediate needs met uh, as opposed to going to emergency, which a lot of people would do. Um, and he indicated that he understands that people will not want to drive past an emergency room in order to get to an urgent care center, if you know what I'm trying to say. So they're trying to figure out where these urgent care centers would best be somewhere on the Northeast Avalon. What a lot of logistics to figure that out. <laughs> For sure. And, you know, um, if one RFP came in over budget, one would think two RFPs could also come in over budget, but uh, what do I know? Very little indeed. Um, so um, we never talked about it yesterday, but uh, Chrissy passed away. Yeah, I was so sad when I heard about that. Um, Chrissy, of course, as uh, Linda's mentioning, um, is Suzanne Somers, who played Chrissy Snow on Three's Company, who so many people have watched and grew up, uh, you know. And, and aside from that, she also kind of, she diversified. I mean, she not only did that, well, she did step-by-step, step, but she also had her own line of products, organic products, too. She was very vocal about her disease, um, aggressive breast cancer, and uh, the books that she had written and the family that she had created and just a huge, huge following. So sad to see that just a day shy of her 
uh, birthday, her 77th yeah. it would have been, I think. And I understand her family had gotten together just for that purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah just to as a celebration uh, of life and hopefully to continue on her legacy because she's made such a, a positive difference on so many women's lives. Uh, for sure, and had been um, diagnosed with breast cancer, I think it was 26 years ago, Look, quite a while, quite yeah, a while ago. it was 20-something. Before that, she also, uh, while she was uh, filming Three's Company, back in the day she had three I think three times she had some form of cancer I think it was like a hyperplasia which is like the precursor to cancer but she's been battling and and skin cancer like all her adult life now she credits having a healthy lifestyle to her living as long as as she did but then again as much as I'm praising her uh, you know there's the other side um, the doctors who were going against you know they didn't really appreciate her spreading a certain kind of message the message that she opted not to do I think chemo at the time and she felt and a lot of people in that kind of doctor world thought that uh, putting women at risk for making that announcement that you know if you give up conventional care then you know you could be okay which is not the message that uh, they want out. Yeah. Well, uh, it's sorry to to hear of her uh, passing. A lot of people watching her career very closely over the years. Um, we're out of time. We'll be back tomorrow. So do join us then. Thanks for listening, everyone.